If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome to the Distinguished Pulpit Series at Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Mayflower, will you please help me give a warm welcome to this morning's Distinguished Pulpit Series preacher, the Joy Hoffmeister. They have some feelings about you, Joy. We, you have been reading about Joy, of course, for weeks, but Joy Hoffmeister is a dedicated educator and former Oklahoma Superintendent of Public Instruction. Following an inspiring campaign for governor of Oklahoma in 2022, Joy's tenure as Oklahoma Superintendent of Public Instruction officially ended in January of this year. She continues, as you know, to be a champion for educational initiatives and advocates for policies that benefit students and educators for the work and ministry of Joy Hoffmeister, let the people say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? It's called the parable of the sower, holy one, but we confess that we think of it as the parable of the seeds. We are very interested in what happens to those seeds the sower scatters everywhere on the path, on the rocky ground among the thorns, and some on good soil. Some of us had a Sunday school lesson on it, the kind where the teacher had us scatter seeds in all those conditions, just like in the parable, on the sidewalk, in some rocks, among the thorns, and in some good soil. The seeds did exactly what the parable said they would do. Mostly. Much to the surprise of that Sunday school teacher, and to us, the seeds planted among the thorns kept pace with the seeds planted in the good soil. And a month later, only the plants that remained were those that had grown among the thorns. They were thriving. It turns out that we don't always know 
where all the rocks and thorns are. We don't always recognize good soil when we see it, either. We can't always predict where love will thrive. You have asked us to sow the seeds of the kingdom, seeds of care and compassion, kindness and mercy, peace and presence. But you have not asked us to predetermine where any of it will take root. Our work is not to worry about being wasteful, but about being faithful. Be with us as we scatter seeds, Holy One, and we trust that you'll manage the rest. We pray in the name of Jesus, who gave us stories to keep us growing. Amen. Friends, the first time I met Joy Hoffmeister was as part of an interview team with VOICE, our community organizing coalition. And it was in a meeting we held with every candidate for state superintendent of education back in 2014, or at least each candidate was invited to meet with us. <laughs> Not all candidates and elected officials engage with community organizers, even if they're faith-based. But Joy met with us. She participated in the candidate forum. She had follow-up meetings with us after she was elected. And this is how it should always be. We are so looking forward to learning from you, Joy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Reverend Walkie, for the invitation. Thank you to the congregation for having me and your warm welcome. Uh, it is really a pleasure and it is great to be back in Oklahoma City after eight years of being state superintendent, which frankly a job I loved. Uh, I, I found, you know, I was sort of shooting for a different job. Uh, but fast forward to today and as a woman, as a lifelong Southern Baptist, well, delivering today's message behind a pulpit was something I never imagined I would be doing. <laughs> so what does one do after an unsuccessful race for governor? Well, you write a lot of thank you notes, and uh, you catch up on some sleep, and you try to stay off Twitter. <laughs> and when all is said and done, you look for ways to still serve the people of the state you love. And there is still so much more work to do. The children of Oklahoma face a multitude of urgent needs and challenges. And in my eight years as state superintendent of public instruction, my mantra was that we should meet our children where they are, not where we want them to be. High expectations are important, but they must be realistic and provide rungs to climb to achieve higher outcomes. Roughly 90% of Oklahoma's children attend a public school, and our schools receive kids from all sorts of families and from all walks of life. Children in Medill, Northeast Oklahoma City, or Deer Creek, all deserve to be respected and valued and loved. 
They all deserve the opportunity to be the best version of themselves. But they do not all start at the same place. Nor do Oklahoma kids start from the same place as their peers in other states. About 60% of our school children um, that are, are here in our public schools are eligible for free or reduced price lunches. More than one in five kids in our state suffer food insecurity. Child abuse and neglect, these are cases that are shamefully high here. Oklahoma has among the highest rates of children with adverse childhood experiences, otherwise known as ACEs. We have historically ranked in the top percentage of states of children experiencing four or more ACEs. In fact, nearly 20% of all of our children score two or more ACEs. And some of you already know this, but Oklahoma has among the highest rates of teen pregnancy in the nation. You don't chip away at these stark facts by ignoring reality and hiding your head in the sand. And while Oklahoma County's teen birth rate, for example, has declined by more than half since 2010, much work is left ahead. Many of you know our reality, as do teachers and administrators in our schools. They know their students, they care about them, and they want them to succeed, despite what you might have heard. For eight years, the State Department of Education worked in that reality, too. And I can only hope that our current leadership in our state won't let political bluster impede the real work that our kids desperately need. To be sure, there is a school of thought that scoffs at the notion of meeting kids where they are. Poverty is no excuse, they say. Trauma is no excuse. Racism is no excuse. I would agree to a point. They aren't excuses. They are factors. They are reality. If Oklahoma educators are to make a meaningful and positive difference, if Oklahomans are going to make that difference, they must meet our kids where they are. Childhood trauma is real, and if left unchecked, has real consequences. Studies have affirmed a direct link between childhood trauma and behavioral and health-related issues, whether that be pregnancy in adolescence or, as an adult, problems like chronic disease, mental illness, and incarceration. To reduce child abuse, neglect, hunger, violence, teen pregnancy, or poor academic outcomes, all the statistics none of us want to be top 10 in, we must recognize the impact of ACEs. When we read the news or we see social media, the disconnect of some to the realities of our children and communities and those issues that are being faced is disheartening. But we cannot grow weary and we cannot give up. So let me speak to that for a moment with something that happened this week. So it's Monday, and I finished some appointments in the afternoon. It's about 12.30, and I realized the next morning at 5 a.m. I'm going to be heading on a business trip, which gave me a little window to do something that I had needed to do. I got on the turnpike, got a little bit of equipment, 
And I headed to Oklahoma City from Tulsa, where I'm now with my husband, who is here, and getting reacquainted with my family, <laughs> frankly. And I needed to take care of my house, which is about three miles away from here, actually, that's still here. And I um, had it in my head that this is, again, Monday, so think about the heat, uh, that I was going to go quickly plant some of those flowers that I had intended to plant uh, about a couple months ago, and that I would then be back on the road and ready to pack and fly out. And this would be my only window, because after all, it was already mid-July. So I go to the flower shop, I buy everything I'm going to need and mulch, and I head to the house, and when I arrive, there is no real place to put these anymore. Um, in fact, those who mowed just kept mowing and now my beds were Bermuda and crabgrass. It's about 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon at this point, and I began to work, hydrating, but began to work in the heat. And as hour by hour ticked by, I was committed, had to finish this work, had to keep at it, or I was really going to have wilting flowers and half of a bed, right, across this house. And I got the work done, met a new neighbor who checked on me, and everything was great kindness there, and I was grateful for that. Got the work done four hours later. 7.30 took a lot longer than I thought. Get on the turnpike, start heading back, realize I'm not feeling so great but I'm on the road, and you know how that works on the turnpike. There was one shot, and it was the McDonald's heading that way. It couldn't come fast enough. I get there, and I'm beginning to really feel the weariness, and I make my order, I pull up, as the woman said, to the second window, I think, and I pull to the first one to double check, nobody's there, keep going. There are three windows, by the way. And I go to the next one, no one's there. I go to the next one, no one's there. Now I'm out of windows and I realize I have a small break in time to back up. I back up, I see no one at that window, I see no one at the first window, and I see someone coming. I move forward. I am disoriented and I don't know what to do and I need that food. And then I see someone at the back of me, and they are paying for a meal. Now at the window that I passed, no one was at. And I'm really very now embarrassed that what's going to happen here? I'm causing all kinds of problems. Long story short, it's piling up. People are getting their orders, moving around me. And someone comes to the window and says, dear, are you the one with the happy meal? Yes, I am. And I appreciated her kindness, and I received that nourishment. And anybody who knows me knows this is very unusual, that I would order a Happy Meal, but I downed it. When we are tired, and when we approach things, and we realize that the job is going to be bigger than we expected, or we realize that toiling in the soil is something that you can't just stop, that we've got to keep going. Well, I feel that way in some ways looking back 
at some of the work that I am very, very grateful for Oklahomans who stepped up and did the hard work, um, recognizing now that we can tackle big problems. And it's not wasted, but we've got to persevere. I'm proud of my administration and the focus and time that we made working to become a national leader, raising awareness of childhood trauma and promoting that trauma-informed instruction. And after all of the work, we know that research indicates that it is educators, that it is people in a Sunday school class or um, at a store even that make the kinds of connections of kindness and caring, helping children or others know that they are seen. It can absolutely turn things around. We focused on developing trauma-sensitive schools, places where students feel safe, welcomed, and supported, where we were addressing the impacts of trauma, and we knew that it was a central mission in our classrooms. Trauma-sensitive instruction, therefore, is how we approach this in the practice of education. But it's something we can all do. Beginning in 2018, we had an annual uh, conference where we launched hundreds of workshops on this subject. And over time, we were able to work with over 50,000 Oklahoma educators and school employees to be trained in trauma-informed practices. That is not lost. That's still in place. That knowledge, that awareness is in place, but we must persevere. We knew that we needed mental health support for our kids. And in 2019, about six months before COVID would change everything, I had the privilege of testifying before Congress about the impact of childhood trauma and the promise of tr trauma-informed instruction. And at that time, I noted how the data compiled by the State Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse found that 75% of Oklahoma school-aged children, 6th through 12th grade, have moderate to severe depression. 75%. It was a shocking figure. But even more shocking, at least to me, was that when I returned to Oklahoma, a number of legislators told me they just didn't believe it. And bear in mind, that was before the pandemic would wreak havoc on our children's socialization and sense of safety, to say nothing of academic growth. The mental health crisis among our students was no surprise to me. Each year, I would meet several times with our Student Advisory Council. This diverse group of students, high schoolers that came from all over the state with different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, demographics, um, location, regional uh, differences, all converged. And we would have meetings that were eye-opening, being able to hear directly from students as they pressed those needs that were most important, always at the top of their list were the mental health needs of the students that walked the halls and that stood and sat next to them in classrooms all across the state. The youth mental health crisis has been called the most severe public health crisis of our generation. 
And I believe at the OSDE, we helped create a meaningful team as um, a way to respond to various school emergencies around the, the state, and it was a crisis management team. And many times our team was called to help a school uh, as, and, and their, their students and faculty um, cope with the suicide of a child. 10 years ago, 14% of Oklahoma students reported having contemplated suicide. By most recent figures, that is now a quarter of all students have contemplated suicide. To combat this public health crisis, we must utilize research-based public health models. In schools, this looks like a multi-tiered system of support. What does that mean? Tier one, it's what's good for everyone to be healthy and whole and feeling they belong. Tier two are those small group pullouts to deal with some crisis that might happen. And tier three is where you connect those who have urgent need with the resources that may be out of the building and involve their entire family. Unfortunately, federal COVID, I'm sorry, fortunately, federal COVID relief dollars for schools have provided significant funds to help with this in this area. And even before the pandemic, we knew it was important that we work to provide more counselors in our schools. Through a school climate transformation grant as well, uh, called the AWARE grants, we were able to address the needs in mental health in those areas where there are deserts throughout Oklahoma. And as a result of that federal fund and that work of the Department of Ed, we were finally able to fund the longtime goal of mine, which is to have a school counselor corps, where we were able to put in 300 additional counselors right where they were needed most. This was historic. The council corps marked the first time ever for some districts that they had someone dedicated to behavioral and mental health supports for students. Oklahoma went from ranking 46th lowest in the nation in terms of that ratio of, of support to student to 28th in just one year. And finally, we were able to secure a grant that moved us um, where we had a decrease in discipline referrals with that AWARE grant. They dropped a 31% drop in student suspensions as a result of that, and there was a 56% decrease in the discipline referrals. And for many who were part of this incredibly important resource, we saw a 100% reduction in the suspensions of students. You gotta be in school to learn. We've got to do more to help our kids be there. But again, there's no single remedy. And our health challenges are daunting. And Oklahoma ranks 36th in the nation in childhood obesity rates, too. 49th in behavioral health issues and others that include um, the need for greater diet and exercise. My goodness, Oklahoma did not have health standards being taught as a requirement. Those states that have the highest academic outcomes also require instruction in health, which includes mental health and well-being as well. So while it took time to get there, we have made progress. And it is sometimes incremental. We have to stand guard 
because when things deteriorate, sometimes that's incremental as well. And I will tell you that it is that progress over time that gives me optimism because of our young people who care for one another. I am optimistic because of people like you who are engaged, who step up to make sure that we are actually living the gospel in our communities. This work is too important. Our children are too important. They need us to remain engaged and to fight for them. We may get knocked down, but we get up and we stand up. And we must speak truth to power. And we must step up in ways to serve that maybe we haven't ever contemplated before. But it is the right thing. And it is worth it. And our kids and our schools and our families, our communities, our future depend on it. Now is the time to come together and not allow us to be fragmented or splintered apart or distracted. Scripture says in Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will keep, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So I'll ask you, what steps will you take this summer as we have a few weeks left to invest in those most vulnerable in our community? Will you sign up to volunteer at a school or help pack boxes at the food pantry or perhaps connect with a family member or a neighbor or a friend that you know is having a rough time? When situations cause us to lose hope or to question our circumstances or feel overwhelmed or troubled, let's remember that meaningful progress is incremental and we have gains and those have not been lost and we will not let them be lost. Nothing worthwhile, worthwhile is ever easy and our kids, and our families are counting on us to refuel, stay engaged, and persevere. So in closing, I ask you, who is counting on you? Think for a minute. Who is counting on you? And what action will you take today to make a difference? Thank you. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. 
Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.